Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, we're going to kick off the character series today by looking at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. We'll learn some lessons from Joseph about waiting on God. Uh, do you like waiting? Do you enjoy a nice long wait? You know, it can drive me crazy when I have to wait for something, especially when I feel like I don't know how long this is going to go on. You know, we long for now, but we live in a world of not yet. Like you get stuck in a traffic jam. You feel like it's never going to untangle. Or you make a phone call and someone puts you on hold. Like, have you ever had this happen? Someone answers the phone and they say, do you mind if I put you on hold? It's rhetorical. Like you can't say no. Did you ever listen to a sermon that just went on and on and on and you started to think, is this ever going to be over? If you haven't, just wait. <laughs> well, as a teenager, Joseph got a pretty clear picture of what his future would be, but he had to wait for it. And it was in the waiting that he was faced with all kinds of temptation to focus on the problems that were right in front of his face. I want you to know up front, uh, we're going to be flying through a number of chapters of scripture today. So sometime later, you could read in the book of Genesis from chapter 37 uh, to the end if you want to get a full picture of Joseph's life. There are three key principles that I want to point out from Joseph's life as it relates to waiting on God. Uh, so let's dive in. Uh, principle number one is this. God has a plan for your life and he has a much better view from above. Recently, I had a night where I couldn't sleep and I was troubled by all kinds of thoughts, you know, what if kinds of thoughts, like what if I don't get this thing that I so desperately need? Uh, what if some things don't turn out the way that I desperately want them to turn out? Uh, what if some things don't change the way that I think they've got to change? I mean, these were kind of uh, frantic voices inside of me. There was an appearance of truth to them. Bad things can happen, but they didn't lead to life. Uh, I was reading in Mark 4 where Jesus and his friends are in a boat and there's a storm all around them and they get real frantic, real panicky. Do you know what Jesus is doing in the boat? He's sleeping. They wake him up and he just says to them, be still. He says to the storm, be still and everything becomes still. And it struck me, there's an aspect of life that Jesus did not experience. Jesus had pretty much every human emotion, sorrow, joy, pain. Uh, he was tired. He was angry. Uh, he was hopeful and so on. But there's one aspect of our lives that Jesus never experienced. He was never frantic. He never panicked. Jesus uh, was never in a hurry. And that may get frustrating to those of us who are in a hurry, but Jesus was never in a hurry. God has a uh, 30,000 foot view an eternal perspective on every situation that happens in life. And I become more confident when I remember God can see it all. And he has a plan. He has the master plan. You know, there is a master plan for my life and I know who has it. I don't have it. 
Like you don't have it. My wife doesn't have it. My boss doesn't have it. It's in the hand of God. And so I'm just going to have to trust him with it. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has something in mind when he thinks about our lives. For Joseph, God had a unique plan for his life. And ironically, incredibly, God let Joseph as a 17-year-old in on it. Wouldn't that be great if God told you when you were 17 what your life was going to be like or look like? Look at Genesis uh, 37, 3-8. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, we see Joseph was his daddy's favorite. He had been given this special treatment with this special uh, coat of many colors that uh, made more than just a fashion statement. I mean, it flaunted his father's partiality in the face of his brothers. Uh, There's a story about uh, a salesman who goes door to door and he's knocking on one door and a 10 year old uh, comes to the door smoking a big cigar. And the salesman says, is your mother home? And the kid says, what do you think? (laughs) Now either his mother wasn't home or that kid was the youngest kid in the family Uh, because the babies always get away from with everything, don't they? see, the fact that Joseph was his dad's favorite wasn't necessarily Joseph's fault. It wasn't the best parenting, but you can see why it says his brothers couldn't stand him. So here's Joseph, this uh, handsome, talented, intuitive, visionary, teenage golden child with jealous brothers who absolutely hate his guts. His guts. And he shows up and reveals a dream that God gives him. Now, can you imagine your youngest sibling walking into the family room one day and saying, excuse me, everyone, uh, got an announcement to make, uh, got a word from God, uh, don't have all the details, but it's pretty clear everyone in my family is going to serve me. Like you're all going to bow down before me. And your dad would say, okay, but before we do that, could you take out the trash, your majesty? (laughs) But that was the word God gave to Joseph. He was saying to him as a teenager, I'm going to raise you up to a powerful position over all nations, including your family and your brothers. All right, so let's fast forward to Joseph's life at age 30. Uh, The Pharaoh in Egypt, the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth at that time, says to Joseph, you are now in charge of the nation. All the things under my power are now in your command. There is nothing that is done in all of Egypt that is not first passed by you. 
and Joseph ruled the nation as a 30-year-old. Now, maybe you're thinking, man, that sounds like a, a great master plan to me. You know, that's pretty exciting. I'm 33, you know, a few years late on the plan, but you know, it sounds like a good deal to me. A lot of people would love to hear something like that from God. You say, I've been waiting, God, come on. You like move powerfully, you know, so that I can actually end up in this kind of powerful position, like any day now, whenever you're ready. But you know, as well as I do, this great adventure of hearing from God and knowing and following God's will can be quite a roller coaster ride. Sometimes when you hear that still small voice of God say, this is where I'm leading you, follow me. In the next breath, he says, and please fasten your seatbelt. Like grab hold of the bar, please keep your, your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. And that's what we discover in Joseph's plan. From 17 to 30, like the 13 years that fall in between those two events were wild ride years. 13 years where it might have been possible possible for Joseph to lose sight of any of the hope that God really cared about him at all, much less that God had something good in mind for his life. Joseph had a long 13-year wait to understand what God's plan was for his life. Have you ever had one of those days, like one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those lives? Joseph's brothers hated him. They didn't like him at all. And when he comes on the scene with this, like, you're going to bow down to me, you're going to serve me stuff. I mean, they really get ticked off at him. His brothers are way out in this place called Dotham, tending sheep. And the father sends Joseph to take some supplies to them. And they see him coming over the hill and with his, like, you know, dad likes me better than you kind of coat. And they're not happy about it. And their hate and their resentment and their jealousy and envy and rage start to churn and burn within them. And they say, you know what? When he gets here, let's just kill him. Now, remember God's plan. He's going to rule the nations. His brothers are thinking, yeah, well, we'll see about that. And they devise a plan. They find this pit, this empty cistern, and they say, well, we'll throw him in there and then we'll kind of figure out what we're going to do with him. We see beginning in Genesis 37, 21, that one of Joseph's brothers, Reuben, has mercy on him and has plans to come back and let him out. But the rest of the brothers, they just want to kill him. They say, we'll teach him. We'll just rip off his robe and we'll kill an animal, throw some blood all over the robe and drop his body in this pit. And then we'll tell dad some animal got him on the way here and he'll be history and we'll never bow down to him or worship him. We'll certainly never serve him and we won't have to worry about him anymore. He'll be out of the picture. And you think you've got sibling rivalry going on in your house. Uh, so Joseph shows up and says, hey guys, got some stuff from you for you from dad. And they say, you know, well, we've got something for you. And they grab him, they rip off his robe, and all of a sudden, he's in a pit, looking up. Ever have one of those days? His brothers sat down and started eating lunch, thinking about what they're going to do. Should we stab him? Should we beat him? Like, what are we going to do? About that same time, some uh, Midianites, uh, sort of a, a gypsy band of people, moving across the desert in their caravan, and one of the brothers uh, sees dollar signs 
flashing in front of his eyes. He says, hang on guys, we don't have to kill him. Let's just sell him to these gypsies coming by. We'll get some cash for him. And then we'll tell dad he's dead. And we'll say that we found his blood soaked robe. Dad will never know the difference. We won't have to live with the guilt of killing our own brother. And we'll make a few bucks in the process. And so the Midianites come uh, and Joseph's brothers actually sell him for about eight ounces of silver into the hands of these gypsies who go straight to Egypt. And they put him on the slave block where he's bought by a guy named Potiphar, who was the head of the bodyguards for Pharaoh. Uh, this guy Potiphar uh, takes him home and puts him to work. Now, Joseph is no longer the golden child of the family. The hope and the future thing was not working out exactly as he thought it would work out. But the scripture says in Genesis uh, 39.2 that the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was obedient. He worked hard. Uh, he did the right thing. He didn't complain. He was full of integrity. He served from the bottom of his heart, and he kept looking past the circumstances of his life. As a result, God used Joseph's life and Joseph had success with everything he touched in Potiphar's house. He was really, really good at this slave thing. Well, Potiphar recognizes this and he finally says to Joseph, everything I have is in your command. You get the full run of the house. You're the head guy in all of my household affairs. You've got administrative power over everything in my household. And so here's Joseph going through the trials, but he's doing it with character and he's being honored by God. Things weren't exactly the way that he wanted them to be or the way they were back home with dad, but this slave thing was working out okay. Until Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. Now, the writer of scripture literally says that Joseph was a well-built, handsome man. Uh, I did a little word study on the Hebrew word for handsome. Uh, it's literally translated uh, tall, skinny, dark-haired. Look it up. You can do your own word study on it. Uh, anyway, Joseph is this handsome young man and Potiphar's wife wants him. And she tries to seduce him, but because of the uh, authenticity, authenticity of Joseph, Joseph's heart, he won't give in. He knows Potiphar trusts him. Potiphar has let him run everything in his house, and Joseph tells her that he can't do this. He can't sin against God in this way. Well, she was frustrated by that, so one day when no one else is around and Joseph is working inside the house, she just grabs his clothes and demands that he sleep with her. And he pulled away and his cloak comes off and she's left there with his jacket in her hands. And so she starts to scream that she's been assaulted by Joseph and makes up this big melodramatic story that uh, about him, about Joseph, when her husband comes home. And Potiphar gets furious and ends up throwing Joseph in jail for attempted rape. Gosh, ever had one of those days? Like you're just trying to do the right thing. You're just trying to uh, do the honorable thing. And then all of a sudden you find yourself looking through the prison bars of false accusation. You know what the writer of scripture says? God was with him right there in the jail. God was with him. 
And maybe God was reminding Joseph that he had a hope and a future for his life, that he had a great vision for his life and was going to take him somewhere and do something extraordinary with him. And Joseph must have been thinking, yeah, great, God, like you're the most creative God I've ever seen, getting beaten up by my brothers and thrown into a pit. You know, that was awesome. The road trip with the gypsies. Can I rebook one of those? Like that was great. Like Potiphar's wife, she was awesome too. Like this is exactly how I pictured this uh, turning out. But you know what? Like after a while, the warden made Joseph head over the whole jail. Joseph was one of those guys who decided he was just going to bloom wherever he was planted. God was with Joseph. And Joseph was so honoring him and he was so filled with integrity and so filled with a servant spirit and so looking past the problems in front of his face that they made him inmate number one. They made him like trustee over the whole jail. Well, the story goes on with Potiphar getting really uh, temperamental one day and he sends two guys, his uh, cupbearer, a kind of personal butler and his baker to prison. Um, I don't know, maybe the Krispy Kremes were a little stale one day or they put too much starch in his shorts or something. I don't know. But he gets ticked off and he throw these, throws these two servants in prison. Now, while they're there, the cupbearer and the baker have dreams and they talk to Joseph about how they can't figure out what their dreams mean. And Joseph says, well, he can interpret dreams. You know, back when I was 17 years old, I had a dream that God was going to make me ruler of a nation and all my brothers and family were going to come and bow down to me. And they had to be wondering what he was doing in jail. I mean, these guys tell him the dreams and Joseph through God interprets the dreams. He says, okay, here's the deal. I don't know how to break it to you, but I'm sorry, Mr. Baker, this is going to be it for you. Your days are numbered three to be exact. You're going to be executed and impaled on a pole. And then Mr. Cupbearer, I've got some good news for you. You're going to be restored to your position with the Pharaoh. And just one small thing, I'm not really supposed to be here. I've been framed. Uh, I've been falsely accused. I've been set up. So when you go back to the palace, my name is Joseph. Put in a good word for me. Put in a good word for Joseph. Well, it happened in three days, exactly as Joseph had predicted, the baker was executed. And in three days, the cupbearer was right back in the throne uh, of Pharaoh. And guess what he forgot to mention? <laughs> yeah, he forgot to mention Joseph. Ever have one of those days? Like the writer of scripture emphasizes that for two full years, Joseph waited in that jail until finally Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. Pharaoh's stressed out about them. He can't figure out what they mean, and he can't get an answer from any of his magicians or any of the wise men of the nation. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer recalls, there was a man in prison who I met, um, and he's really good with dreams. You ought to bring him. His name is Joseph. Now, let me just uh, push pause here on the story and say this. 13 years have gone by. Like not 13 minutes, not 13 days, not 13 weeks, not 13 months, 13 years, 4,745 days have gone by. And I think during that whole time, Joseph had the same opportunity that you and I have to lose sight of the fact that God really does have a plan for our lives and he has a much better view. Every one of those moments, 
I think Joseph could have been uh, limited by that little snapshot that he saw and forgot that God could see the big picture. Today, I think God is saying to us, you may be right in the middle of a 13-year plan. God says, I see the whole picture. You don't see it all. I've got a bigger canvas in mind when I look at your life. I do have a hope and a future for your life. And can I add this disclaimer? God's plan doesn't necessarily look like the American dream. I think it's important to understand that if you and I are ever going to get a handle on this thing called God's will, uh, because what happens is our culture paints a picture of what God's plan should be for our lives. And we sometimes paint a picture and we say, well, God, as long as your plan looks like this, well, I'm going to follow you. And God says, wait a minute, excuse me. You call this letting me lead your life? You call this letting me speak to you? I think God says somewhere along the way, did I say that I created men and women to live in America and have this, like all this stuff that will somehow make you happy and comfortable in this world? Did I say that I wanted everyone to be wealthy? Did I say somewhere that I wanted everyone to experience a pain-free, trouble-free, bliss-free ex existence where everyone gets ahead in this world? Like, or did I say, I just want every person to burn with passion for me and my purposes and to trust me and l allow me to mold them into the person that I want them to, me, to be, to follow my voice, knowing that my ways are higher and my thoughts are higher, knowing that I have a much better view from above. To choose joy, no matter what your circumstances are in this sometimes very difficult life, and to live grateful lives that are molded in the image of Jesus, to make an eternal difference with their one and only life wherever I lead them. You know, G.K. Chesterton said this, Jesus promised to those who would follow him only three things, that they would be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, and always in trouble. <laughs> you see, the same God who said, I know the plans I have for you to give you hope and a future also said that in this life, you will have trouble. And what I've learned from the life of Joseph is that God is much more interested in my character than he is in my comfort. And until we start thinking that way, we're going to miss it. God says it doesn't have to look like the way we think it should. I'll take you anywhere I want to take you, God says. You can trust that. But along the way, you're going to have to trust me. All right, principle number two. God is at work even when you wait in the dark. When What Joseph could have done uh, at any of those stops along the way is say, you know, I guess God was wrong. Or maybe he changed his mind. Or maybe I did something wrong that got him ticked off and I got kind of bumped off the master plan track. Or maybe uh, God wasn't real to begin with. And so I better start trusting in myself. Like I've got to figure out my own way to get my life on the right track. I've got to figure out how to get out of this pit. I've got to figure out how to get a better job than Pharaoh's slave. I've got to start planning a prison break to kind of get back home. But he didn't do any of that. He continually submitted his life to God. And I think I know why. Like repeatedly 
in this text, we hear this refrain, the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. But the Lord was with Joseph there too, as he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with Joseph, like God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in jail. And I think Joseph all the while remembered God was with him. God was at work in the darkness. See, when it gets dark, God doesn't sleep. God never gets tired. Look what the writer of scripture says in Psalm 121. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never tires and never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The writer of scripture is reminding us that tonight, when we fall in bed because we're exhausted, when we close our eyes to rest, God will be at work on the night shift all night long. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, God's plan was still moving ahead. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, God wasn't caught off guard. When Joseph was falsely accused and when he was betrayed and put in jail, God wasn't derailed. When Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer, like he wasn't forgotten by God. And as Joseph continued to wait in that jail and those two years, two long years passed day after day, God was timing the events of his life until just the right moment when Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And in one 24-hour period, God would move Joseph from that jail to the power of second person in the nation of Egypt. You see, when it looks dark, God is at work. He is with you. No matter what your situation is, God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you and he has not left. Like his, he is working behind the scenes of whatever your dark night experience is right now. He's committed to working all things together for good for those who love him. He is with you in the dark. Maybe you just need to get real honest with God and say, God, would you help me to see beyond the darkness? Would you help me to see past the circumstances that, that you're looking at right now? Like I'm feeling crushed right now. Um, you know, remold me, help me to trust the fact that you see the bigger picture. Keep me focused on uh, the promise of a future and hope. I urge you to pray that kind of honest prayer to God. If Joseph could survive all those years of mistreatment and loneliness and loss, then you can too, because he is the same God and he loves you just the same. All right, principle number three, God's plan is to have the right person in the right place for his purpose. That's always God's plan. And it's such a good feeling to step back and realize you are that person. Like ever been in a circumstance where you just step back and you go, whoa, like that was incredible. That was amazing. That was a divine appointment right there. There's no other way to explain it. There's no other way to explain all the details of what happened. Uh, my wife was reading an old C.S. Lewis book that we have, and she came across a note from a guy named Matt who lived with us during his last semester of college when we lived in San Diego. And she read the note to me 
uh, and we shared some funny stories that we remembered about him. Uh, we hadn't really thought about him for a long time, probably over 10 years. And that night, I had a dream about Matt. And I don't remember the content of the dream, but I just remember feeling like God was telling me, you need to reach out to Matt. And I remember thinking, well, this is weird. I haven't talked to Matt in a really long time, but if you want me to reach out to him, God, well, I'll reach out to him. And so I called Matt and I said, Matt, uh, I know we haven't talked for a really long time, but I just felt like God wanted me to call you. And I told him about the note that we found in the book and I told him about the dream that I had. And he said, Matt, today I was planning on taking my life. And so for the next hour, I just talked to Matt about how much God loves him, how much God has a plan for his life, what an impact that he made in my life and all the people uh, around him when he was serving in our student ministry back in San Diego. And I got to connect him with some people where he lived. I mean, I was just amazed to be that person in that place, in that time for God's purpose. And I think Joseph understood all about this. Here's how the story ends. Pharaoh has two dreams and he asked Joseph to interpret them. Joseph says it's beyond his power to do that, but with God's help, he'd reveal to him what they meant. So Pharaoh goes through his dreams and Joseph says, uh, here's what the dreams mean. Uh, it's gonna get bad around here. Uh, you're going to have seven years of plenty, some major heavy-duty bumper crops, and then you're going to have seven years of absolute, absolutely nothing, like a big famine will come to the land. And Pharaoh, if you're smart, for those seven years of plenty, you will be disciplined and you will store away so that when those seven years of famine come, you'll have plenty for everyone. And Pharaoh said, wow, like you're, you're no ordinary Joe, you're pretty smart, uh, God is with you. And in fact, I'm gonna put you in charge of the whole storage process. In fact, I'll be the only one at a higher rank than you. So for seven years, Egypt disciplined itself and stored the excess. And as the dream foretold, major famine came upon the land, seven years of famine. And you know what? No one in the land had food except for Egypt. And you know who was in charge of all the food in Egypt? Joseph. And guess who came to Egypt looking for some food for their families? Joseph's brothers. They came not recognizing Joseph and they bowed down before him. Now, if I'm Joseph, like I've got like a celebration dance going on inside my mind at this point. Like I'm thinking, well, 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 look who's here. Like you guys have traveled such a long way. Allow me to show you to your deluxe accommodations. <laughs> like how about individual pits for every single one of you? Like I know this great band of gypsies. You can take a cruise with them. Like Potiphar's wife, evil woman. You'd love to meet her. He didn't do that. In Genesis 45, Joseph reveals his identity, his uh, godly character, and the understanding of God's plan for his life. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, you know, they had to be absolutely freaking out. Like as he's speaking, 
in their mind, they're, all they're hearing is like, I'm your brother who you never thought you would see again, and I'm ruling Egypt, and therefore I'm in control of your destiny. Right now, I am your absolute worst nightmare. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then I was, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph is standing there face to face with his brothers who beat him up and sold him. And he says, listen, I'm not bitter with you guys. I'm not seeking revenge. Like this has been a 13 year roller coaster ride, but God used it to make me into the right person so that in this day of famine, the right person would be in the right place to accomplish the right purpose of God. You see, it's true. The immediate purpose was to feed the nations for seven years, but the greater purpose was to prepare the sons of Jacob so that they could become the nation of Israel for the purpose of God, for the, uh, the birth of Jesus, for the salvation of the world, for you and me to be here today. It was important that Joseph be on the throne that day in Egypt. And I think it was God who first said, I love it when a plan comes together. You see, God can take your history, no matter what it is, and he can shape your destiny. Look at Genesis 50, 18 to 20. The brothers are begging for forgiveness. Uh, the father has just died, and the brothers are thinking now that dad's dead. Joseph is going to come down pretty hard on them, uh, which moves Joseph to tears. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The right person in the right place for the right purpose. I love the story of Joseph because uh, whenever I have one of those like 13 year seasons, when I have to say, God, I think this whole thing is coming unraveled around me. Everything is going wrong. This is not the picture I had in my mind. I can also say, you know what, God, I, I, I can't make sense of this, but I trust you. I trust your heart and your will, and I will wait for you because I know you love me and I know you can see much better than I can see. And I know you're smarter than me. And I know God that you have a hope and you have a future for me. You promised that to me. I may not see it on this side, but I will see it one day in eternity when I spend forever with you, God. So thank you so much. I just put my full trust in you. God holds so much more than what you currently see. Look past your circumstances. Look at God. He knows what he's doing. All right, let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much that we get to read and understand this story in the, the life of Joseph in the Old Testament so that we can get a perspective 
on our lives and just what you could be doing in our lives, even though we're going through dark days, even though uh, it's something that we can't fully understand, or maybe it's painful to us. Just like Joseph was in jail for two years. It must have been a painful two years for him, but he had this perspective that you were at work. The Lord was with Joseph. Help us to have that perspective in our lives. The Lord was with Matt. The Lord was with, put your name in that blank. And God is doing something. Help us to remember, God, that you are doing something in our lives. You are at work. And we just have to trust you. We have to trust your ways. We have to trust your will. It doesn't look like the American dream, but we know that you are at work in our lives to accomplish your purpose. And it's a good purpose. So would you uh, continue to teach us this week, to continue to give us this perspective on maybe the struggles that we're facing and help us to trust you, help us to turn to you, help us to continue to uh, pray to you and, and seek and ask and, um, and know that, that you have a plan for our lives and it's, plan, it's a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. It's a plan to give us a hope and a future and help us to live out that reality. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.